VegCast. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Vance. VegCast. Welcome to the Sounds of Summerfest edition of VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. And thanks for checking in with us. This is the second VegCast, the Veggie Podcast. And as always, we have a full menu for you, including music from Will Tuttle and Kyle Vincent, an interview with Dr. Michael Greger, and our regular feature, Science Fact. But much of our focus in this show will be on Vegetarian Summerfest. This is an annual conference put on by NAVS, the North American Vegetarian Society, every summer in Johnstown, PA. Uh, It's the only vegetarian conference I regularly attend. And I'm often one of these speakers and and, or entertainers, so take that into consideration when I tell you it's a fantastic weekend in a beautiful location among great people and delicious vegetarian food. And you should already be making your plans to attend next summer's event. Uh, It's also the venue where VegCast was first publicly announced back at the beginning of July. And today we're going to hear a few snippets of sound I recorded on my iRiver that weekend. This is not meant to be any kind of complete overview of what Summerfest is. For that, you can check vegetariansummerfest.org. But a few things that were sonically interesting. To kick this off, let's hear a track from Will Tuttle. The plenary sessions at Summerfest in the evenings always begin with a piano prelude, which this year were performed alternately by me, Rebecca Barnett, Serena Farb, and, of course, Will Tuttle. So this is an appropriate way to set the mood. I should mention here that Will's new book, The World Peace Diet, is to be reviewed in Library Journal which will get it picked up by many libraries all over the place, so that's good news. Uh, You can find out more about the book at willtuttle.com. Right now, we're going to hear Dear Song from Will Tuttle's album of piano music blended with sounds from animals in nature, entitled Animal Songs. Thank you. 
Tuttle from Animal Songs, setting the stage here on our Sounds of Summerfest VegCast, emphasizing the peaceful, bucolic setting of the conference, the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown campus in the mountains of western Pennsylvania. Now, one perennial favorite speaker at Summerfest is Howard Lyman, the man who, in 1997, correctly asserted on Oprah Winfrey's show that we already had mad cow disease in the country. Uh, on the show that became the basis for the cattle ranchers' lawsuit, which they lost and Oprah won, uh, this year saw increased attendance at Summerfest. And here's Howard's take on that. minuscule bunch out there. They really don't count. I want to give you some real numbers. When I first came to the North American Vegetarian Society, I was the only cattle rancher Turn vegan. <laughs> we have Harold Brown shows up, Farmer Brown. We double the number of <laughs> So Harold and I show up this year. A tough act to follow, right? And what do we have this year? A cattle rancher from Texas, vegan. A cattle rancher from Oklahoma, vegan. We doubled the numbers again. <laughs> That's Howard Lyman, who creates such goodwill on stage that he's able to turn almost every line into an applause line. Well, in addition to the music performed on stage, so <clears throat> masterfully at Summerfest, there were also impromptu music jams like this one uh, that I happened to cross in the main lobby of the Living Learning Center. This was Jerry Cook, Joanne Farb, Ted Barnett, and another guy whose name I'm not sure of. Send me that and we'll add it to the show notes. And uh, also various other people joined or left the circle for different numbers. I should point out that I did admit up front that I was recording all this for posterity. <laughs> Oh, I'm making bootlegs. You're recording this? Is that what that, that records? Is that like with an MP3 kind of thing? It's that kind of a thing. <laughs> that was Joanne Farb, of course. One musical selection that was publicly performed and knocked all our socks off was Sarah Schwetter Eisman, George Eisman's daughter, uh, at the Saturday night concert. Just fantastic solo a cappella singing, which I did not manage to record. But on Sunday, she did a kind of short encore with another tune, and I did get some of that, which she and George have graciously permitted me to play here on VegCast. Here are the last few lines of the song. 
children be not obeyed, but children will listen. Children will look to you for which way to turn, to learn what to be. Careful before you say, listen to me. Nice, right? Sarah Schweder Eisman has a very nice voice for a young woman, even more amazing for a teenager. Only here's the thing she's 10. That's right, 10 years old. Uh, I think it goes without saying that we'll all be watching and listening to hear what Sarah decides to do next with her wonderful musical aptitude. Okay, switching gears back to the speakers at Summerfest, one of the most dynamic and singular presenters is Dr. Michael Greger, who is a general practitioner specializing in vegetarian nutrition and who just accepted a post at the Humane Society of the United States. He has an encyclopedic command of the facts, a lightning quick sense of humor, and a great sense of showmanship that make him a powerful advocate for vegetarianism. At Summerfest, he agreed to do a VegCast interview, and we recorded that last week in two parts. We'll be playing the second segment of, on uh, VegCast number four. But now, without further ado, let's go to the Michael Greger interview. All right, well, I'd like to welcome to VegCast the esteemed Dr. Michael Greger, who is the Director of Public Health and Animal Agriculture for the Humane Society of the United States. Dr. Greger, welcome to VegCast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for being on here. Um, I'd like to ask you, first of all, if I might, about uh, your latest book called Carbophobia, uh, which was about the Atkins diet and the Atkins company. Uh, and you pretty much laid into them for a lot of their claims and the falsity thereof. And the uh, book came out in January, I believe, and then uh, just last month, uh, Atkins actually went bankrupt. Is there a cause and effect relationship there? You know, not bad. Six months. You know, I was yeah. hoping for five. Yeah. But, okay. uh, but indeed, uh, you know, as a multi-billion dollar corporation, um, it took a few more days than I had uh, expected. But <laughs> right. it's, uh, good to see, it's good to see them go, not only for the animals, um, but for the millions of Americans hoodwinked onto these dangerous um, uh, and uh, scientifically inaccurate and, uh, and in the long term, really ineffective diets. And so uh, does this mean, I mean, I know you can't foretell the future, but it seemed that uh, beef consumption in general was kind of on the slow decline, and then there was this this big bump that everybody ascribed to uh, this, the newfound fad, uh, well, this newfound old fad of the Atkins diet. Um, and now, you know, you have that like inspired a bunch of the South Beach diet and these other kind of knockoffs that so far, you know, have not yet surrendered. So I'm just asking, do you think this augurs well for the uh, the decline of beef consumption or is it just people are going to Go try something else, or along with the um, along with the disappearance once again of these high fat fats that have been around since the last century. There has been a uh, a uh, subsequent decline, for example, in pork rind sales, 
uh-huh. um, and in uh, egg sales um, and uh, in general animal products. And so, I mean, there was certainly the heyday for these uh, animal agribusiness leaders uh, during the low-carb craze. But thankfully, that's gone by the wayside. And now you know, people are, are uh, becoming more and more interested in fi- high-fiber-containing foods, which, are, of course, are all plant foods. Um, so you see a lot about whole grains, a lot of advertisements. And so finally, we have something that's, uh, you know, uh, is actually a positive health message mm-hmm. um, for the uh, for the health of the public, definitely. Well, let me just take off from that positive health message, because as we know, the USDA uh, is in charge of putting out positive health messages uh, to the American public uh, in terms of letting them know what they should eat. And uh, it has seemed to many industry critics and many uh, agency critics that that message has been perhaps uh, a little hard to understand in that it it doesn't seem to jibe with uh, what what people actually know about what people should eat. And recently, it seems there has been more attention being paid to how the the USDA doesn't put its money where its mouth is, so to speak. And I'm wondering, are do you see the USDA actually picking up on this and saying, gosh, you know, maybe we ought to actually start educating people about whole grains and, and the difference between uh, refined grains and uh, whole foods and so forth? I don't think we're going to see that. And the reason is, I mean, until we have, um, you know, for example, maybe the Department of Health and Human Services overseeing nutrition policy for America. Right now, there's um, a lot of work being done trying to get a separate food safety agency like they did over in Europe where, um, you know, we have this tremendous, just like they did have over in Europe, this tremendous conflict of interest. I mean, the, the mandate of the Department of Agriculture is obviously to promote agricultural products. At the same time, they're the ones in charge of food safety. They do the meat inspections, etc. Right. And so you can see um, the inherent conflict of interest, and that's why it's taken us so long to even, you know, make these these minor strides, like finally, you know, getting rid of some of these um, um, antibiotics, at least in poultry production. Right. Um, and so, uh, and so, there's actually, I mean, you know, we're seeing op-eds in the New York Times, etc. I mean, we're seeing some, you know, good work trying to get, you know, can we create a food safety agency that can oversee and take it away from the Department of Agriculture? The same thing really has to be done with nutrition. Unfortunately, you don't hear enough about that about the nutrition angle, but I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, public health specialists, nutritionists, um, people with backgrounds, they're the ones who should be defining policy, not those who, you know, have uh, these USDA commodity meat products to get rid of. Right. Okay. Well, what, um, I guess this is as good a time as any to ask you in terms of public health and animal agriculture, your, your role there at the Humane Society, this is a new, uh, role for you, or at least a new title for you anyway. Um, so is it all right to ask, what what exactly are you doing there? We're um, in, the, in the farm animal welfare section here at the Humane Society of the United States. Um, we are, among other things, writing a series of, of kind of, of position papers, kind of akin to what was done um, over in the United Kingdom with this wonderful organization called Compassion and World Farming. Mm-hmm. They just really did some uh, brilliant work. And part of that was because they kind of got this kind of think tank together 
this animal-friendly think tank and put out these white papers, like kind of like the World Watch papers, which actually, you know, kind of laid all the evidence out on on the table. Unfortunately, vegetarian advocates, perhaps in this country, have not had that kind of scientific rigor, have not had the professionalism, have not had, you know, the backgrounds or the know-how or the knowledge to really kind of put it all together and affect public policy. Not just write a pamphlet, but you know, to be on these panels that are deciding nutrition policy, that deciding agricultural policy, the, you know, deciding where the subsidies are going, um, and so, and that may be one of the reasons why, you know, Europe is so far ahead of us in so many ways, particularly um, when it comes down to animal welfare, where they are phasing out battery cages. Some of the most egregious examples of animal cruelty, you know, the the uh, the fowling crates for for pregnant mother pigs, right. um, you know, really, you know, like the veal crates, etc. We are decades behind. Perhaps one of the reasons is we don't have that kind of high-powered research um, to be able to give to policymakers. Um, and so that's one of the, um, in its attempt to um, kind of uh, muscle its way into the policy arena surrounding farmed animals, these policy papers are uh, are one of those routes. And so I'm currently working on a policy paper on the avian influenza, the, the bird, the coming bird flu pandemic, right. um, in hopes that uh, that you know the humane society of the United States will able to you know, kind of position itself within the crisis to say, well, look, wait a second, we've got to take a step back and say, where did this come from in the first place? And it came from these industrialized, factory-farmed um, commercial poultry operations. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a virus of our own hatching um, and now threatens the, um, you know, uh, public health on really a global scale. Right. I guess the question, the devil's advocate question would be, once there is a pandemic, do you do you see people... You know, thinking clearly about the actual source of it, or just uh, becoming more atavistic and more, uh, you know, every man for himself and uh, compassion be damned. Well, I think if you look back to other really horrific tragedies, like the September 11th tragedies, there was, for a time, this real questioning. I mean, right. the American public said, well, wait a second, we don't understand. Why don't people like us? There, I mean, there was just, you know, and there was some good investigative reporting, and really kind of, you know, and they were doing good polling, um, uh, you know, in like the Middle East business sector. It's really getting a sense, well, wait a second, you know, kind of what are the underlying issues here? Something that some some of these questions that weren't being asked before that. And so, you know, there's nothing like, you know, 100 million human deaths to get people thinking, wait a second. <laughs> Um, you know, what, you know, how did this happen? How can we prevent this from happening in the future? Um, and so, uh, I mean, so I'm, you know, excited to be part of this team. We have, you know, the Humane Society of the United States realizing that the vast majority, perhaps 97, 98% of the animals that are being abused here in this country are abused for um, to be uh, in the, the slaughter industries, they are putting more and more resources towards um, protecting all animals, um, not just uh, the ones that they've perhaps been more, uh, you know, they've put more work into in the past. Mm-hmm. So you're, um, I guess, part of what you're you're trying to get across there is that there is a there is a connection uh, on many different levels between. Uh, the exploitation and abuse of animals and ill health uh, 
among humans. I mean, there's there's not just this one epidemic, but there are many of the things that we do to animals that are cruel also happen to be ancillary threats to human health. Are you are you talking about that or working that into any uh, any of your position papers or? I mean, we, one sees that from a variety of angles. Um, so, for example, just on the infectious disease front, um, of co- I mean, you, there is no better breeding ground for emerging viruses than, you know, packing, you know, 20,000 chickens in a broiler shed. Right. Um, I mean, when you have that kind of intensive confinement, when you have that, that many bodies to, in that short of space where there's the fecal dust and the, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this is this is the this is the nirvana for emerging viruses, and indeed, over the last 30 years, the World Health Organization estimates that 75% of all new emerging diseases. So, if you think, you know, we're talking about SARS, we're talking about, um, you know, the AIDS virus, uh, we're talking about, you know, some of these these diseases which are now epidemic, killing millions of mm-hmm. people around the globe. These all came from um, came from raising animals for slaughter. So, for right. example, the AIDS virus uh, came from, I mean, the, the leading theory is it came from you know, butchering chimpanzees, right. so-called bushmeat trade. Hepatitis B kills a million people every year. You know, came because we're butchering, uh, butchering monkeys, gorillas. Um, uh, you know, SARS, we think, came from the civet cats that were being killed. Right. Um, again, so, you know, uh, Dr. Uh, John McDougal you know, talks about how, you know, he asks audiences if he's ever heard of anyone who ever came down with Dutch elm disease or got a really bad case of aphids. You know, <laughs> we don't, right? And the reason we don't is because we are so far removed from the plant kingdom. We are just such different organisms that the viruses, and plants get viruses too, the viruses um, and the diseases that attack plants don't affect human beings. Right. And so, I mean, so uh, that's where all these diseases are coming from. That's where the food safety hazards come from. When you get hepatitis from us eating a strawberry, it didn't come from the strawberry. They don't even have little livers, right? It came <laughs> because of the animal manure that was dumped. Right. On those strawberries, and so e- even if you're getting food poisoning from a from a, a plant source, where it always came from uh, from animal agriculture, and of course with the industrialization of animal agriculture, um, you know these fecal pathogens. We're now you know 76 million Americans every year coming down with food poisoning. Thousands of Americans dying, and these are you know. And these are the the typical kind of bacterial pathogens like Salmonella, E. coli. You know, people should not be dying of these diseases, but thanks to the meat industry and our kind of lust, lust for cheap flesh in this country, um, we're fostering this kind of industry, which is really putting the public at risk. Well, uh, we should wrap up this uh, this portion, and I should um, I should say I want to do another segment with you, which we'll uh, record in a moment. But uh, just in terms of people who may be uh, happening across the uh, Dr. Gregor landscape, is there, would you recommend one spot that they, uh, I mean, we'll have a series of links on our show notes, but uh, if somebody is hearing about this, whether it's because they're concerned about health risks 
or their their consciousness is being raised, where would you point them to 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 find out more about all this? Um, well, uh, I would point them to humaneeating.org, mm -hmm. which is um, which is the latest effort on part of the Humane Society of the United States to really push this message of kind of the three R's: refinement, replacement. Um, and reduction of animal products within one's diet. One of the most powerful things any of us can do to reduce animal suffering is to think twice about what we put on our plates. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for being on VegCast, Dr. Greger. Thank you for having me. And once again, links to all the initiatives Dr. Greger is working on will be in our show notes at VegCast.com. And Dr. Greger will return for another discussion, this time looking at vegan activism, strategy, and recipes on VegCast 4. Think a little of the suffering of which you spare yourself the sight As if you cannot see it When everything's alright Cause he can't love and she can't feel They're just machines in a factory Vincent, vegetarian singer-songwriter who is also a popular favorite at Summerfest. That's his song, 
Animal, which he's graciously allowed us to podcast here. And you can find out more about Kyle, his albums, his concert appearances, and so forth, at his website, www.kylevincent.com. Science. Welcome to this edition of Science Fact, where every VegCast we will present another recent peer-reviewed scientific study of interest to the vegetarian community. And this time around, it is about the vegan diet versus prostate cancer uh, from a little earlier this month. Uh, in the Journal of Urology, these new findings suggest that an ultra-low-fat vegetarian diet combined with exercise and relaxation can stop or even reverse the progression of early-stage prostate cancer. Um, basically, uh, this is one out of many studies, it's only the most recent, that have shown either that eating meat increases the risk of certain cancers of the digestive system, the gastrointestinal system, or that compounds in plants are found to fight uh, these same cancers. Uh, but we'll let this one stand in for now and just look at the particulars of this study. You see, the study was done by researchers from the University of California at San Francisco and the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, and of course there was a control group uh, who just followed the general health advice of their doctors. Um, the men in their in the so-called lifestyle change group followed a 10% fat vegan diet that included mainly fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and soy products. And uh, the bottom line was after one year, PSA levels, that's uh, prostate-specific antigen levels, uh, decreased 4% in the lifestyle change group and increased 6% in the control group. Uh, it goes on to say lab tests also revealed serum, the fluid portion of blood from participants inhibited prostate cancer cell growth almost eight times more in the lifestyle change group than in the control group, suggesting that intensive lifestyle changes, meaning a low-fat vegan diet uh, along with exercise and relaxation, these intensive lifestyle changes may affect prostate tumor growth as well as PSA. So it's just one more reason you may want to look at what you're eating, especially if you have concerns about risk for cancer. Uh, you know, it's an old trope in popular culture. What if they found a cure for cancer? Uh, and while no one would necessarily say that the vegan diet itself is a cure for cancer. It seems to be just about the strongest cancer fighter that ordinary uh, Western uh, individuals have at their disposal. So it's certainly worth, worth looking into. And that is why it is our science fact for this VegCast. Science fact. And before we wrap up the second VegCast, I want to be sure to give a couple of shout-outs to other vegetarian podcasts out there in keeping with our mission to be your guide to vegetarianism through podcasting. First and foremost is Vegan Freaks, the blog which now has a companion podcast at 
podcast.veganfreak.com and which was so kind as to mention VegCast and even call attention to our kicky theme song. Thanks for that. They also have a book now which is shockingly entitled Vegan Freak and which I've just finished reading and we'll have a full review on the next VegCast. I wasn't able to turn it around in time for this one, but it will be available before then at Meat Facts, which is at soyjoy.blogspot.com. Whatever else it is, the book is worth reading, so go ahead and buy it, and you can decide if I'm full of crap when you read the review. Uh, the other blog slash podcast is Eric Prescott's An Animal Friendly Life at www.ananimalfriendlylife.com. Uh, both of these are so far pretty basic in terms of podcasts, mostly short, top-of-the-head musings, uh, but that's fine. It takes all kinds to make a veggie uh, podcastosphere. Anyway, check them out, and send us a link to your podcast at feedback at vegcast.com so we can let people know about it right here. And that's going to wrap up this second VegCast. Hope you enjoyed it, and hope you'll come back for more. Thanks to everybody who agreed to let me play them on this podcast. And please get in touch if you have an interesting vegetarian topic or music that we should have on here. Be sure to subscribe so you'll get the next VegCast, which is due in mid-September, where we'll have music from Heidi Howe the aforementioned Vegan Freak Review, and the Four Vegan Restaurant Challenge, among other fun stuff. So, I'll look forward to being with you then, and in the meantime, get out there and live like you mean it. I'm Vance, and I'll see you next VegCast. VegCast.